0: We're going to be in the book of Psalms, chapter 40. If you have a Bible, go Psalm 40. And uh, last week, we began our journey to Easter, also known as the season of Lent, with a conversation about what a reconciled relationship with God would look like. And in short, we said that to be reconciled to God, to have a right relationship between us and God, uh, is what theologians would call union with Christ. And Paul's language biblically is to describe followers of Jesus as those who are in Christ, as well as those in whom Christ is in. And we together, as the people of God, are those, the community of those who are in Christ. And therefore, what that means, just by way of review from last week, is that our standing with God, the good news would say, has absolutely nothing to do with our record or our performance, but is entirely based upon the record and performance of Christ on our behalf. And so if we want to know how God feels about us, we simply would need to ask, how does God feel about Jesus? And the same is true for us, as we are those who are in Christ. This morning, we're going to build upon that foundation, the gospel that we have been made one with Christ, and we're going to use it to launch into a conversation about prayer. And specifically, my hope this morning is to help Teach you how to pray. So it may sound like a strange idea, but we'll uh, we'll get there in a few moments. And so I'll start in Psalm forty. We'll read uh, the first half of this psalm. I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and mire. He set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see and fear the Lord and put their trust in him. Blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, who does not look to the proud, to those who turn aside to false gods. Many, Lord my God, are the wonders you have done, the things you plan for us. None can compare with you. Were I to speak and tell of your deeds, they would be too many to declare. Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but my ears you have opened. Burnt offerings and sin offerings you did not require. And then I said, Here I am, I have come. It is written about me in the scroll. I desire to do your will, my God. Your law is within my heart. We'll stop there for this morning. So before we come to the conversation on prayer, I want to quickly uh, review the foundation from last week. And the first uh, main idea from last week is this, that the Gospels, meaning the, the books Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, primarily tell the story of the love between a father and his son. Okay, maybe a new perspective on these biographies of Jesus, but if I, I'm convinced that if you would read through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, this relationship between God the Father and God the Son, who's come into the world as Christ, is absolutely central to that story. And so that's the first thing that we looked at. That the Gospels declare this incredible, loving, mutual, joyful, harmonious relationship that has existed from all eternity past into human history in the incarnation of God the Son as the person of Jesus and this incredible love that's affirmed in, in many different ways throughout the stories. So that's the first thing. The Gospels are primarily about the love between a father and his son. And the second main idea from last week is this, that the nature of our salvation is that we are included in Christ's relationship with the Father. So again, if the Gospels tell the story of God the Father's love and pleasure in God the Son, the good news of Jesus for us is that we have been saved, meaning that we are now participants, that we are those who are in Christ and included in that relationship, so that everything that's true about Christ has now been made true about us. As hard as that is to understand, it's mysterious, it's profound, it's deep, and it changes our lives forever, if we see that. And so we looked at this icon, this uh, ancient Christian depiction Originally from the three visitors in Genesis 18, but Rublev, the artist, kind of invites us to imagine that Abraham was actually visited by God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. We started to look at this painting a little bit last week. And there's a beautiful invitation that's built in to this painting. And that is that though there are three members of the Godhead, there's four sides to the table. And that you and I are invited to participate in the divine nature, as First Peter would say. That we are those that get to pull up a chair, to join the dance, to share a meal at the table with the Trinity. And what we said last week is that if we paid close attention to where that open seat at the table is, it's directly across from God the Son. In other words we're invited to have our lives mirror Christ. That we would become those in whom his life is formed so deeply that when our friends and neighbors look at us, they get to see Jesus. And as we know, when Jesus, Jesus said, when you look at me, you're seeing the Father. And so the position of his head even, in submission, in reverence, in awe, and love, pointing us and all humanity towards the Father, who is our home. So this incredible invitation that we have to be participants, included in Christ's relationship with the Father. This is the nature of our salvation. This is the nature of what it means to be Christian, to be those who are in Christ. And emphasized last week that I'm not talking about super Christians who work their way up, to uh, varsity Christianity and they're the ones who are in Christ I'm saying this is already true of all of us this is what it means to be Christian to be in Jesus and to participate in his relationship with the Father okay so that's review and there's two reasons that we started a conversation on prayer with a conversation on our union with Jesus And the first is to lay a solid foundation upon the gospel of grace. When we get into a conversation about something like prayer or maybe other Christian disciplines, there's an easy tendency for us to mistake prayer or something like that as a way of working our way up to good standing with God. But if we have already been united with Christ and made one with Him, if we've been already given a place at this table then prayer or any other Christian action or discipline isn't a way to earn good standing with God. We are saved by grace through faith. The gospel isn't about the good things that we do to work our way to God. It's about the good thing he's done in Christ to work his way to us. And so we respond with joy, with gratitude, and with faith. So that's the first reason we started there. The second reason we started with union with Christ is to provide a context in which we can think about prayer and begin to practice it, hopefully in a way that will be much more formational and life-giving for yes. us. So the Gospels tell the story of the love between a Father and Son. The nature of salvation is that we're included in Christ's relationship with the Father. And thirdly, what we'll talk about this morning is that prayer then is engagement in the conversation between Jesus and our Father. I want to give you what may be a new way of thinking about what it is to pray. It is, yes, talking to God, but in light of everything we've covered, that means something so much different, so much better than we could ever even hope. That we get to participate or engage In the ongoing conversation between God the Father and God the Son. So, I mentioned last week that in the Lord's Prayer, the very first line that Jesus teaches his disciples to pray is, Our Father. And the significance of that, in light of the gospel that we are united with him, is that he's saying, My Father has now become our Father. And Hebrews in chapter 3 would say that Jesus is not ashamed to call us brothers and sisters. That he has made us one with himself and now his relationship with the Father we are invited to participate in. So he says this is the foundation of prayer that you, my disciples, get to pray with me and together we pray to our Father in heaven. I want to pause for a moment and consider the context in which Jesus gave the disciples what we know as the Lord's Prayer. It shows up several places in the gospel, but one is in Luke chapter 11. In verse 1, it says, one day Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. Okay, so the very next verse then is Jesus saying, when you pray, say this, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. So the Lord's prayer comes about in the context of a conversation in Luke's gospel. And it's, the, the context is that these disciples, these first followers of Jesus, are struggling to pray. They long to have a deep, rich, meaningful, powerful, joyful prayer life. They want to be people who pray. They want to be people who have conversation with God that's real and that's authentic and that's consistent over the course of their lifetime. They want to pray, and they're finding that it's hard. They're struggling to form. A legitimate, authentic, joyful prayer life. Do any of us ever feel that way? Do you know what that's like? I think almost all of us do. And in fact, I don't think it's just Christians that feel that way. I think people of all different kinds of faiths, there's this idea that I want to be in conversation with the divine, I want to be connected to God. I want to learn how to interact, how to speak, how to listen in a way that's real, in a way that means something, in a way that doesn't feel phony or fake or shallow. For many of us throughout the course, if you've been a Christian for a long time, especially, you've been through different seasons in your prayer life, highs and lows. You've been through times where you have this really consistent, steady, rich, vibrant, time of prayer. Maybe you get up every morning and it's the first thing you do. For many of us, we've had those seasons, but then they kind of go away. And we, same way, you know, with CrossFit or whatever else, like you start something and you're all about it. And then eventually it just kind of gets hard and it's easier to slide back to the way things used to be. These disciples are saying the same thing. Jesus, we want to pray. We want to have lives marked by prayer. We want this significant, authentic connection with God. But it's hard, it's hard. So will you teach us to pray? And so first of all, take encouragement in the fact that if you're somebody who struggles to pray, that you're not alone. That even those disciples that were with Jesus in the flesh, you would think, man, they would have the easiest time praying. All they have to do is talk to the guy next to them. They're going, this is hard. Jesus, teach us how to pray. And so in that very question, a truth is revealed. That prayer is something we need to be taught how to do. We need to learn to pray. And this may sound kind of strange to us, but the truth is that all of us have already learned how to pray in one way or another. In the same way that we've learned how to speak. For those of us that have little kids, how do our kids learn to speak? They listen to our words, and then they copy them. And they begin to form their own words and their own sentences and their own paragraphs. So we learn to pray the same way we learn to speak. And if we've been around church or Christian culture, we've picked up all kinds of uh, rules or tricks when it comes to prayer. Let me show you this that I found recently. I don't know how well you can see it up there. This is a generic prayer request generator. Okay, so this will be helpful in your Sunday school class or in your small group when you're going around the circle and there's a time of sharing prayer requests. So you just fill in the yellow boxes. My, choose your obscure relative, great aunt, brother-in-law, third cousin, um, and then their acquaintance, which is uh, next door neighbor, (laughs) junior high soccer coach, or Twitter follower. Um, Then you pray about either their vehicle, their pet, or their body part. Um, And you would describe it and the problem it has. And then, so that's kind of how you start it. And then here's how you form the prayer request. First, you just pray that God would just really uh, heal or (laughs) love or help uh, either it or the situation, right? So now I know that's maybe a low blow, but most of us recognize something in that. Even though, I mean, as I could go off on this, I won't, but just and just really, we've learned how to pray by listening to others pray, by creating cultures where there's kind of certain ways and certain words and certain things you say if you want to sound like you're praying. Now, The point, obviously, isn't to slam well-meaning intentions on presenting our request to God as we're invited or even commanded to do. But the point is simply to say, all of us, at some point, have learned how to pray. We've been taught. We've picked up language and posture and tone and vocabulary for prayer. If we had Christian parents, it started with them. If not, it started... Maybe in Sunday school or youth group or your church setting or your small group or whatever else. We've learned how to pray somewhere. So listen to what Bonhoeffer in 1940, when he talks about this request, Lord, teach us to pray. Here's what he says In making this request, the disciples saying, Lord, teach us to pray, they confessed that they were not able to pray on their own, that they had to learn to pray. The phrase, learning to pray, sounds strange to us. If the heart does not overflow and begin to pray by itself, we say, it will never learn to pray. But this is a dangerous error, surely very widespread among Christians, to think that the heart can pray by itself. For then we confuse wishes, hopes, sighs, laments, rejoicings, all of which the heart can do by itself, with prayer. Prayer does not mean simply to pour out one's heart. It means, rather, to find the way to God and to speak with him, whether the heart is full or empty. No man can do that by himself. For that, he needs Jesus Christ. So what's fascinating to me is Bonhoeffer's writing many years ago now, many decades ago, But he seems to be dealing with the same same feelings that many of us would have. That the idea of needing to learn how to pray, needing to be taught how to pray, for some of us feels like that's really inauthentic. That prayer should be something that's organic and intuitive and just kind of flows out of us. That's a very modern day perspective, but was already around in the 40s when Bonhoeffer was writing. And so the disciples in Luke 11 say, Jesus, teach us to pray. And what would we expect Jesus to say? We would expect him to say, just talk to God. Just tell him whatever's on your mind. Just tell him how you're feeling or what you're thinking or what you're worried about. Just talk to him. Now, that's something I've told many people when they're trying to figure out how to pray. We want to just kind of make it a really casual, easy thing. And especially in light of everything we talked about the last couple of weeks, where we are now one with Christ, we are participants in the relationship between the, fa- the Son and the Father. So, like, I don't need to earn my way to God, or do any, you know, fancy King James prayers, or just reallys, or whatever. Just talk to God. That's what we would expect Jesus to say and I would guess that's what you would expect me to say today. You're one with Christ so just talk to God. But that's not what Jesus does. Instead he actually gives them a prayer to pray. He composes this beautiful poem essentially. It's incredibly clear that Jesus' intention is that his disciples would pray that prayer. That the Lord's prayer would become a prayer that they prayed, not just once, but repeatedly or even habitually throughout the course of their life. And they even say in Luke 11.1, just as John taught his disciples, this is what rabbis did this is what Jesus' disciples were expecting. When they said, teach us to pray, they weren't expecting just kind of some vague theology or, you know, sentimental saying, like, just talk to God. They were saying, no, tell us what words to use when we talk to God. And that's exactly what they get from Jesus. And so we'll stop there for a moment and simply ponder as... Evangelical Christians, although very few of us would embrace (laughs) that language anymore, doesn't mean much to anybody, Um, as people who are part of this grand tradition of following Jesus, it's been going on for centuries, um, the Lord's Prayer, for many of us, hasn't been seen or received or practiced in this way. And I'm convinced that Jesus intends for it to be. The prayer that he gives us in the Gospels, when his disciples say, we're struggling, we want to pray, can you teach us how? He says, when you pray, say this. So we'll start there. But here's what's cool, is the Lord's Prayer isn't our only tool for learning to pray. And in fact, in your Bible, there is an entire book, and a huge book at that, that is full of... Of prayers in fact it only contains prayers the book of Psalms was God's gift to his people and for 3,000 years now the people of God have received the book of Psalms as God's prayer book essentially as the curriculum that God would use to teach his people how to engage in conversation with him. So for the nation of Israel, the Psalms were absolutely central to their life, to their worship. As a way of life, every day the Psalms were showing up. They were not just reading the Psalms, but the Hebrews were praying the Psalms and allowing God's word to shape the way they, the words that they spoke, back to God. Okay, so remember we talked about how do we learn how to talk? By listening to our parents and then speaking those words? How does God teach us to pray? By speaking to us and inviting us to pray those words back to Him. That's the book of Psalms. And it's always been received this way by Christians. The prayer book of the Bible, a huge chunk in the middle of the scriptures that only contains prayers. And the ancient Israelites prayed the Psalms, and Jesus himself prayed the Psalms. Read through the Gospels, you'll notice how often Jesus is praying the Psalms. To the point, where in his moment of greatest pain and suffering and crisis, he opens his mouth to cry out to God, and what comes out? Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He doesn't compose an original prayer, but his whole life has been steeped in the language of the Psalms. His whole relationship to the Father has been informed by the language of the Psalms, so much so that it's almost like when you cut him open, this is what he bleeds. This is his language of prayer. And so even Jesus needed to learn how to pray. And so he used the Psalms. He didn't just read them, but he prayed them. And as he prayed them, he learned how to better communicate with the Father. I know that might raise some questions, but I'll stand by it for the moment. You can hit me up later. (laughs) The early church, we're also told, continued in this tradition. Acts 2.42, one of the descriptions of the first communities of Christ followers after Jesus' death and resurrection says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Now, in some translations, we're simply told, and to prayer, but it's very clear in the original language that he writes the prayers, meaning there was an agreed upon, a recognized set of prayers that the early Christians prayed together. And it absolutely, definitely would have included the Psalms and the Lord's Prayer. And so they weren't just devoted to prayer, they were devoted to the prayers. And when they got together, and it came time to engage in the conversation with, with the Father, they came to the prayers, the Psalms, and the Lord's Prayer at the very least. And this is the tradition that we're part of. This is the faith that we have received. Learning how to engage in conversation with God by praying the prayers that he's given us. And there's something even more crazy about the Psalms here. I started by reading Psalm 40. And... um, If you're still there, at the very top, the little editorial note will say, for the director of music of David, a psalm. So who wrote Psalm 40? Who penned it? David, right? Clear. He wrote many, I mean, almost all of the psalms are psalms of David. Okay? But then we go fast forward into the book of Hebrews. Later on, again, another letter written to an early community of Christ followers. And in Hebrews chapter 10, we don't know exactly who the author is, but here's what he writes. Therefore, when Christ came into the world, he said, sacrifice an offering you did not desire, but a body you prepared for me. With burnt offerings and sin offerings, you were not pleased. Then he said, here I am, It is written about me in the scroll. I have come to do your will, my God. Here's what's crazy. The author of Hebrews says, When God the Son entered into human history, when Jesus Christ showed up in the world some 2,000 years ago, the writer of Hebrews said, Here's what he said. When Christ came into the world, here's what he said. And what does he quote? Psalm 40. The last two verses that we read at the beginning. The writer of Hebrews says this psalm of David was actually spoken by Christ when he came into the world. Read through the book of Hebrews and you'll see this over and over and over again. The author attributes the words of the psalms to the mouth of Christ. And so there's this connection that's been made by many believers throughout history. That the Psalms are not simply just a template or a prayer book or a curriculum to teach us how to pray, but there's something even better than that. That what they are, the Psalms, are actually the words in the conversation between God the Son and God the Father. And many of them, pre-incarnation. We get Jesus' dialogue with the Father before he shows up on earth. And many of the Psalms, now if you go back and read Psalm 40 and read it as the words of Christ, as his conversation with the Father, and Hebrews tells us when he comes into the world, it just loads them with all kinds of meaning. So yes, they were written by David, inspired by the Holy Spirit, penned by this shepherd king, but somehow, mysteriously, we're invited to engage them as the words of Christ. And so my hope for this morning is to be incredibly practical. And to offer not just teaching of concepts, but to actually kind of revive and offer this gift of God's word as his curriculum and as his invitation for us to participate and engage in the conversation between the Son and the Father. To teach us how to pray. And so when you came in, I hope that you got one of these little books. We put these together this week, in our last couple weeks at the office. Why don't you grab that real quick? I want to tell you what this is, and uh, then we'll come back and close. But this is a liturgy for daily prayer. Liturgy is a word that means work of the people. And so it acknowledges that prayer is work. It's the work of formation. It's the work of aligning our heart and mind and will with God's. Prayer is the work of being conformed to the image of Christ and to be engaged in the conversation that has been going on between him and the Father from all eternity past. And so the first page, Introduction to Liturgical Prayer, kind of goes over some of the concepts that we're talking about this morning and emphasizes what is countercultural for many of us as modern Protestants, the fact that we need to learn how to pray and that Christians have always been devoted to the prayers. Page two tells you how to use this book. And I'll summarize by simply saying... This book was designed to be prayed in its entirety on a daily basis. So it's not like a devotional where you read page one one day and page two the second day, but to read, pray through the entire thing every day. And then as you go through, you'll find a whole bunch of prayers for you to pray. And many of them are taken directly from the scriptures Primarily from the book of Psalms, but also taken from Jesus in the Lord's Prayer and the common prayers that we hear from him to the Father. So we have scripture, but we also have some prayers from the church throughout history. Some of the prayers that have been composed and gifted to the church as a way of shaping the way we relate to God. No, let me just stop for a moment before we dive back in. Do you realize if you come here on a regular basis, you already pray pre-packaged prayers on a regular basis? What do you think when the band comes out? Aren't you thankful that they put the words up and tell us what to sing? Aren't you thankful that we're actually singing songs that have already been written? And it's not just like, okay, everybody start praying, everybody start singing. Make it up as you go. (laughs) Maybe some of you are from churches that were like that. That sounds terrible to me. But I'm thankful. Do you realize that's, we already, it's not as weird as you think. Our theology and our language towards God is already shaped by the worship music that we engage in. And that's why I'm thankful to Ben and Katie and others who work really hard to ensure that the songs that we sing to God are the kinds of songs we want shaping us as a community. Okay? Same way the psalms have always been used. Psalms, spiritual songs, hymns, that's the idea. Okay? So same thing's happening here. Instead of singing, I guess you could sing this if you want, but the idea is you're praying them. Okay? Um, there's several points throughout the prayer book. Go to page 7, if you will, and that's the first one, where there's space for you to compose your own prayers. And so the first one on page 7 is prayer for family, a time of simply asking God's blessing and mercy upon loved ones. And so yes, you're, re- you're reading through or tracking through this prayer guide, but there's several times throughout it where there's space for you to bring your loved ones, your community, your family, before God in prayer. Same thing happens on verse t- or page 10. There's space for petition and intercession. And then on page 11 at the top, there's room for what I would call contemplation, which simply means sitting with Jesus, enjoying his presence, resting in his love. So it's not just talking, 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 but creating space in the middle of this whole thing to listen to God and to simply just enjoy being with him. And doesn't mean just to, you know, kind of let your mind wander off or whatever, but to intentionally dwell at that table with the Father, Son, and the Spirit and to enjoy the company of the triune God. As you move through, other prayers, both from Scripture as well as throughout church history. Prayer for peace, prayer of St. Francis, prayer of grace, thanksgiving, and then finally at the end, on page 14, for the third time, you'll pray the Jesus prayer. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me. Three times, we'll pray that prayer throughout the liturgy. The mercy prayer, or the Jesus prayer, is the most prayed prayer in the Bible. And it's like, again, God is trying to tell us something. I want you to relate to me in a certain way. I want you to learn how to participate in this conversation between my son and I. And apparently, the plea for mercy, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, is central to entering in and finding our place at that table. When we pray for mercy, what are we praying for? We're simply praying for God to break into our world. We're praying for a divine inbreaking of God's spirit and presence and power. We're praying for him to do something. And we don't always know what that is or what that needs to be. But we're simply acknowledging our frailty, our dependency, our humanity, and asking for the loop, the cycle to be broken. God, intervene. God, show up. Lord, have mercy on me in my life. Change things the way that you want them to go. So the idea is that if you pray this liturgy on a regular basis three times a day, you'll be praying with Jesus, the mercy prayer. Now for some of you, I know our staff and others have been working on this for several weeks. And for some, this is received with joy. For some of you, this feels like a life preserver. You're going, finally, this is what I've been looking for. I need, I've needed something to latch onto, Some sort of help, some sort of guide to help me figure out how to navigate this prayer thing. And for many of us, I hope this will be something we receive as a gift. Now, it doesn't mean you're going to like it doesn't mean you're going to go through it the first day and go, oh, this is amazing. Again, think CrossFit, right? (laughs) First day of CrossFit would not be fun, right? The idea is over the course of an extended period of time that you're being formed, that you're being changed. Transformation is occurring. That's what this is supposed to be as well. Pray it once, great. Pray it daily over a long period of time, Expect God to change you, to work out something new in you. So for some of you, this is going to be fun, and you're excited, and this looks, this looks good to you. Others of you, this maybe brings up some bad associations. Others of you, this feels like the church that you left to come to Antioch, right? Or the tradition that you were, <coughs> had to work through some stuff with later, right? Because liturgy, or anything that feels like kind of like we're supposed to follow a certain order, it can quickly devolve into empty ritual, can't it? And maybe you've been in more traditional church settings where it's like, I don't think anybody even means the things that they're saying right now. (laughs) We're just reciting these, these words. And that can happen, can't it? And so the challenge for us is to learn how to engage in the conversation between the Father and Son in a way that actually accomplishes the purpose of prayer. So prayer, well, here's how C.S. Lewis talks about it. I pray because I can't help myself. I pray because I'm helpless. I pray because the need flows out of me all the time, waking and sleeping. It doesn't change God, it changes me. Prayer doesn't change God, it changes me. Now, is he saying that God doesn't answer prayer? Of course not. God answers prayer. And we're invited to present our requests, to intercede on behalf of our loved ones, to pray for his mercy to pray for his grace, to pray for his salvation and his justice to happen in our world, God answers prayer. But the primary purpose of prayer isn't self-expression and it's not to get God to do what we want him to do. The primary purpose of prayer is that we would be changed. That the image of Christ would be formed in us that we would figure out how to live out of our identity as those who have already been united with Christ, that we would learn the dance of the Trinity, that we would learn to share the table with the Father, Son, and Spirit, and ultimately that our lives would become a mirror image or a reflection of Jesus to the world. That's what prayer is for. And if we see that, that it's not a way of getting my number up so I can feel good about my faith, it's not a way of manipulating God somehow to get things to go my way, but it's simply a way of offering myself to the Spirit's transformational power to form Christ in me more fully, then something like this, I would suggest, can be an incredibly helpful and powerful tool. Now, do you have to do this? course you don't have to but for those of you that are saying i struggle to pray i need help prayer is hard lord teach me to pray then we're simply acknowledging that he through the psalms through christ and through the church has given us an incredible gift that we may learn to participate in that conversation and so hopefully you got one of these when you came in if you know you're never going to use it, don't throw it away. Just put it on the table outside or something. We worked pretty hard on these, so <laughs> that'd be great if you just, uh, you know, recycled it at least. Um, but what gets me excited is the idea that what if we had a whole community of five, 600 people, whatever Antioch is, that on a daily basis, basis were praying these things together? That on a daily basis, we're pleading for the Lord's merciful intervention in our lives and in our families, and our community, in the world. What if on a daily basis, we were praying things like, Lord, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who have sinned against us. Do you think if you pray that on a daily basis, over and over again, as a community, things start to change? That we become A community of forgiven and forgiving sinners that are extending God's mercy to one another and to the world? Do you think if we pray on a daily basis, Lord, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, if that truly gets imprinted on our hearts and in our minds and in our lives, do you think things might start to change? Do you think we would seek God's kingdom, his rule and reign to break into our broken world more than ever? Prayer doesn't change God, it changes us. And together, the invitation is to come and to pray with Jesus to our Father. So not just me and Jesus, but us as brothers and sisters engaging in conversation with our Father together. I think it's at least worth a shot. I think it's worth an experiment. And I would encourage you to take one of these home. And if this isn't your thing, there's many other resources. Simply the book of Psalms, book of common prayer, many other resources that would help you learn to pray. But I I love the idea of us doing this together as a way of life and uh, trusting that God's going to do something in us in reconciling us to himself, but also transforming us into a community of reconciliation that's living out his purposes in the world, here in our city and across the globe. So our Father, we are so thankful that you have taken it upon yourself to reveal yourself to us, that you have made yourself known to us in Jesus, and that you have miraculously, mysteriously, graciously, and triumphantly made us one with you. And our hope and our prayer this morning is that we would learn to live out of our union with your Son, that we would learn to relate to you as Jesus does, as those who are in Jesus. Not just as individuals, but as a community, seeking your kingdom, seeking your mercy, seeking your justice. And so we pray together this morning, along with the first disciples, Lord, teach us to pray. Tune our hearts to sing your praise. Align us with your life with your love. And may we find ourselves as clay in your hands being formed to the image of Jesus for your glory and the joy of this city. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.